Hi, Stonebridge. I'm Stephanie Leedy, Director of Children's and Family Ministries. Today, our scripture reading comes from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my own behalf. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is God's word to us today. Hello, Stonebridge. I'm Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge Community Church. And this week, we are continuing our sermon series entitled, Two Words That Change Everything. And the two words that we're looking at are, I am. In the Gospel of John, Jesus uses this phrase, I am, numerous times. When he uses this phrase, he's telling us something about himself. But there's also something deeper going on. You see, all the way back in the book of Exodus, when Moses, the leader of the Israelites, the one who would lead them out of Egypt, the one who would lead them through the desert, when Moses first meets God, Moses asks the question to God, Who will I tell the Israelites sent me? And God's answer is, Tell them I am sent you. See, I am, that is God's name. From that point on, it's known as God's name in the scriptures. So when Jesus says, I am, he's telling us something about himself, but more than that, he's telling us something about God. He's telling us that he is God in human form, and he's given us some sort of characteristic about God that we can rest in and that we can trust in. So this week we're looking at, I am the light of the world. And as we turn to the scriptures, I invite you to join me in prayer. Please pray with me. Lord, open up our eyes that we might see you. Illuminate your scriptures for us. Give us the light of your scriptures so we can see the path you have for us, so we can follow you better. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. But Jesus, when he says it, he actually is creating this dramatic scene. It's almost a, an exciting scene that Jesus is creating, at least to me. Because it's very likely that when Jesus first says, I am the light of the world in the Gospel of John, he would be at what was called the Festival of Tabernacles. This was a festival that the people in Jerusalem would celebrate. And they would put this on and thousands of people from all over the countryside would come to Jerusalem. And there at the temple, they would celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. And this festival, it would celebrate a few different things. But one thing that it celebrated 
was the story back in Exodus, when the Israelites are wandering in the desert, and there's no light around them in the evenings. It's just dark. When they're wandering in the desert, God would become a, a cloudy pillar of fire there in the middle of their camp. This big pillar, cloud of fire there. And God would give them light. God would guide their way. God would help them be able to set up camp and help them to stay, stay safe in the midst of this very dangerous situation. God guided them through the desert to the promised land with this pillar of fire. So to celebrate that at the Festival of Tabernacles, what they would do is they would have these big candlesticks, these, these massive candlesticks with these golden bowls underneath them. And they would light these candles. And these candles would give off light throughout the whole city of Jerusalem. It's just a beautiful picture to imagine. Because remember, this is the ancient world. There isn't light pollution from skyscrapers or traffic lights or cars or anything of that sort. It would just be darkness except for these candles. One commentator on this festival said that there wasn't a courtyard in the city of Jerusalem that didn't reflect this light. It's in that setting that Jesus likely stood up and said, I am the light of the world. But it's even more dramatic than just that, because while however visually powerful that is, there's also all sorts of symbolism with light from the Bible. It's possible that when Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, Jesus is comparing himself to the law, because the law is referred to as the light of the nations. It's also possible that Jesus is taking up the mantle of the suffering servant, the suffering servant is that mysterious figure in the book of Isaiah who is going to suffer on behalf of the people. He's going to take on the transgressions of the people, their iniquities, their diseases, their infirmities. He's going to suffer for them so that they can be saved. That suffering servant in the book of Isaiah is referred to as light a few times. And it's also possible that Jesus is just pointing to that story I mentioned earlier of the the cloudy pillar of fire that would guide the Israelites because we know that that was God's presence. So Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. My guess is he's actually pulling all of these images together. And in this setting of these candles, illuminating all of Jerusalem, making this proclamation, letting people know that there is hope, that he is salvation, that he can light their ways, that he can open up their eyes that he will give them the light they need so that they can understand that God has saved them and saved this world. It's a dramatic, dramatic moment, which is why it's so surprising to me that in the Gospel of John, it lands with a thud. I mean, it, re it really does. Jesus wants people to understand hope, but what does this story turn into in the Gospel of John? It turns into a debate over legal technicalities on what the definition of a witness is. The Pharisees say to Jesus, you can't just testify about yourself. You need to have a witness. And Jesus says, no, God is my witness. And then they go back and forth over this. I mean, Jesus wants people to understand hope and salvation and God's work and what God is doing in him. And he's standing there in front of them as the light of the world, illuminating everything, giving them hope. But it becomes a debate over technicalities of the law. 
I don't know what Jesus felt in that moment. But if I were Jesus, I would feel frustration and, and disappointment. And I think for any of us who are part of the church, we can feel frustration and disappointment. Because as the church, we're meant to be the body of Christ. And we're meant to, to shine in the way Jesus did. To help people understand hope. To help people understand that Jesus is the light of the world. To point people to Jesus as the light of the world so that they can have hope as well. To, to point to the resurrected Lord and let them know all that God was doing in this world and in their lives. I think we're meant to shine in the same way Jesus did. But so often we as a church, we fall short of that calling. But what's even more frustrating to me than that, though, it is real that the church does fall short so often, is in those moments where we actually reflect Jesus' message well, where we actually are pointing to Jesus as the light of the world well, people still just walk away. We still get a response similar to what Jesus got from the Pharisees, uh, bickering, arguing, disbelief. Our message, it gets sidetracked. We can all think of family members that we know where this has happened, or we've tried to share the news of Jesus' hope and love with them, and it turns into a squabble or a bickering. We can think of friends who have walked away from faith, children, parents, loved ones, co-workers. I mean, we don't have to think very long to think of people that we know that we've tried to share this hope with and they've walked away. We can look at our culture and see so many people who are living without faith, who don't understand that Jesus is the light of the world and that Jesus is shining right now. In those moments, how do we respond? Is it with frustration? Is it with bitterness? Too often, I think that is how we respond. Is we let ourselves become bitter and frustrated, and then we become combative. And we start fighting with the people that God is calling us to love and to serve. And to help them understand the hope, we start just trying to prove them wrong and seeing them as the enemy. But how should we respond to those moments? There's a story that I loved it the first time I've heard it. I heard it, and I love it today still. It's a story that involves Billy Graham. Now, Billy Graham was one of, if not the most famous evangelists in the history of the church. In the 20th century, Billy Graham may have been one of the most famous people in the entire world. Billy Graham was an evangelist. He would go around and put on these revivals, and he would preach the gospel as he understood it. He would tell people that Jesus had died for their sins, that Jesus had offered them salvation, that Jesus was the Savior, and that they could have life with God that would begin now. Not just in the future when they would be resurrected, though there was that hope to Billy Graham's gospel, but it would begin now. They could embrace it right now. And Billy Graham, he would preach this gospel and proclaim it in such a persuasive and dynamic and um, exciting way. And so many people came to faith through Billy Graham's work. I mean, God used Billy Graham. Billy Graham also had a gift for understanding publicity. He knew how to get headlines. And I don't say that in a bad way. I think that that was one of the ways Billy Graham was effective. He knew how to get headlines. So one thing he would do is 
He would try to seek out famous people who would be notorious, people you would never expect to accept Jesus, and he would try to use his fame to speak to them on equal terms and help them come to Jesus as well. He knew that if he got these famous people to embrace Jesus, these notorious people, newspapers would have to cover that story, and the gospel would spread through that. So we can debate whether or not that's the best strategy, but it is something that Billy Graham did, and he did it to great effect, actually. And there's one person that Billy Graham really sought after a few times at least. His name was Mickey Cohen. And Mickey Cohen was a crime boss here in the L.A. area, actually. And Billy Graham, he wanted to reach out to Mickey Cohen. Somebody who had committed crimes with Cohen had followed Billy Graham and set up some meetings between the two of them. And Billy Graham met with Mickey Cohen and tried to cultivate a friendship and a relationship. Billy Graham realized that Mickey Cohen was actually probably just using Billy to get some good publicity for himself. Mickey Cohen eventually went to jail, did some time, came out, and Billy Graham continued to pursue Mickey Cohen. Even though he knew Mickey Cohen had just been using him, he continued to try to help him understand who Jesus was. And the story goes that In Madison Square Garden, at a revival, Mickey Cohen showed up. And he was listening to Billy Graham, and then Billy Graham gave his famous invitation of coming forward to accept Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. And Mickey Cohen, he came forward, and he signed one of the cards saying he wanted to follow Jesus. And Billy Graham's people, they were so excited. They started talking to Mickey Cohen and telling him about how his life was going to be different and all the things that following Christ would open up for him. And then they started telling Mickey all the things he'd have to give up. And the story goes that Mickey's response was, whoa, hold on a second. If I knew I had to give up all my friends, I would never have come forward for this. I imagine that that's a pretty frustrating moment for Billy Graham. That when that happened, after his pursuit of Mickey Cohen, to realize Mickey Cohen probably wasn't going to be embracing the gospel as Billy Graham was presenting it. I imagine that had to be frustrating and disappointing. But one of the things that I've admired about Billy Graham's ministry is that he didn't let those kinds of setbacks stop him. He continued to proclaim the gospel. He continued to do the revivals to put those on. Billy Graham continued to follow the mission that God had given him, even in the face of setbacks and disappointments and frustrations. And even though Mickey Cohen didn't embrace faith, others would through Billy Graham's work. So many others would. He didn't let the disappointment and the frustration stop him from pursuing the mission God had given him. And in this way, I actually think Billy Graham is just reflecting Jesus as the light of the world. I think Billy Graham understood that even though other people don't embrace Jesus, it doesn't mean that Jesus stops shining as the light of the world. I mean, the Gospel of John at the very beginning tells us that Jesus is the light and the light shines in the world and the the darkness cannot overcome it. No matter how people respond to our message of hope and resurrection, It doesn't change who Jesus is and how Jesus is still shining in this world, offering that hope, offering resurrection, offering restoration, and letting us know that God is at work. 
Jesus as the light of the world doesn't stop shining just because of our failures. And we can rest in that and take hope in that. In all of this, though, when we look at how do we respond in those moments, I think we respond similar to how Billy Graham did, but even deeper than that, we respond exactly how our Lord Jesus responded. Because in John chapter 8, Jesus does create this dramatic setting to proclaim that he is the light of the world, and it falls with a thud. He doesn't get the effect that I'm sure he was hoping for. It becomes a debate over legal technicalities. But that doesn't mean that Jesus gives up on proclaiming that he's the light of the world. In fact, in John chapter 9, the next chapter, Jesus says again that he is the light of the world. He continues that proclamation. It's not in as visually dramatic of a setting. This time it's to a man who's been blind his entire life. It's a man who has not been able to see. Jesus lets him know that he is the light of the world. And then Jesus opens up his eyes. He turns the lights on for this man so he can now see. Jesus continues to shine as the light of the world, despite the fact that the Pharisees didn't see what he was doing, didn't see what God was doing in him. Despite whatever disappointment or frustration he had from that debate, Jesus continues to proclaim that he's the light of the world, recognizing that there are still other people that God has called him to. So in those moments where we feel like our message isn't coming across, or people are walking away from faith. We don't, we don't demonize them. We don't respond with bitterness. We don't become combative. We recognize that despite whatever we do, Jesus is the light of the world who still shines and is still shining in that person's life. So how do we respond in those moments? We respond the way Jesus would. We continue to point to Jesus, to point to what God is doing. We continue to love the people God has placed in our lives, even if they disagree with us. We continue to serve our community, no matter how unchristian it may seem to us. We continue to serve the place that God has put us, to serve the community God has placed us in. We continue to spread hope. We continue to point to resurrection. And we continue to love and serve who God has put in our lives. That's how we respond. And all the while, we never forget, Jesus is the light of the world. And regardless of our efforts, Jesus will continue to shine. And may we point to Jesus in all that we do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
Looking above 
filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my See?